It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So now Posey ranges away and throws it so high. There are some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. And there's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to episode. Uh, welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. This is episode fifty-five of the podcast. Sam Lemon here with Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky and Shasky. Usually, I try to come up with a fun little nugget to use for our episode number, but uh, it's episode fifty-five. And when it comes to number fifty-five in the San Francisco Giants history, there really is only one thing that should come to mind. I'm not even going to play around with it. This is the Tim Lincecum episode. And uh, it's always fun to talk a little Timmy whenever you can. And no, let's let's do this right now. Shasky, when you hear the name Tim Lincecum, I'm kind of curious what kind of comes to your mind. I feel like for a lot of Giants fans, it's the shot of them at uh, the ballpark in Arlington on November 1st, 2010, when he was hoisted upon everybody's shoulders and he's holding that number one up. I feel like that's a big moment for a lot of Giants fans. I'm curious for you, though, when you think of Tim Lincecum, what's your kind of like a go to memory for you? Well, I think the number one thing is if I close my eyes and I think of Lincecum in the image, him getting hoisted with his arm up in the air is absolutely one of them. But it's the delivery, the high leg kick, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, with the hair and everything going on there. I mean, he was electric. If you ask me right now, and I know there's a Madison Bumgarner fan base for this uh, organization that's through the roof. Like, I, I, I hear everyone. And Mad Bum is an amazing legend. And I know what he did in the 2014 playoffs is unparalleled. But if you're asking me gun to my head, who am I giving the ball to to save my life? It's 2010 postseason Tim Lincecum over anyone, because I feel you don't get the Bumgarner magic without the 2010 Lincecum unlocking for this franchise and exonerating all of the ghosts. I don't think people realize how much of a bridesmaid the Giants were until the freak, the franchise, Tim Lincecum came here and unlocked winning. At a level that we had never seen before. I put his game one against the Braves as the greatest game I've ever seen pitched over the Matt Cain perfect game. I know, which is absurd to say. On the same night, Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter. I think Lincecum's one of the greatest pitchers 
in the National League over the last 40 years, and I'll take his five-year run, and I'll put it right there up against Sandy Koufax's five-year run as one of the great National League runs we've ever seen from a pitcher. Yeah, no, he just... It, it, for a, for a guy who wasn't that big, he just exuded such a presence when he went on to the when he when he took the mound there, and yeah, yeah I think the delivery is there. I mean, he he really when he arrived, it you could feel the tenor shift within the Giants organization. They were coming out of the Barry Bonds years, mm-hmm. and the thing I think that really it, that hit home with Giants fans and Tim Lincecum is there was like we felt like we we were the same almost in a sense. Like he really kind of fit the ethos of what Giants fans are about and basically what the Bay Area is yes, about. You know, yes. he's kind of the small underdog. You know, there's kind of an underdog quality with the Giants. And then, of course, he became kind of a cult hero when he got busted with a little bit of pot in his car. You know, if there's ever a fan base that's going to be okay with that, it's this Giants fan base. And that's what led to the Let Tim Smoke t-shirts and the F Yeah stuff. If I have to go with a Tim Linscombe memory for me, though, I remember it was the 2009 season. Me and a couple friends went to uh, an A's-Giants game at the Coliseum. There were six of us, three of us Giants fans, three of us A's fans. So we had some good balance there. And for one of my friends who was an A's fan, it was the first time he'd ever seen Tim Linscombe pitch in person. And Timmy absolutely wiped the floor with the A's that night. The A's were not that good that year. He struck out 12 that night. I remember my friend looking at me after the game. He's like, that was one of the most incredible things I have ever seen before. So Tim Linscombe had A's fans losing their minds. And yeah, it, he really did shift where you felt this franchise was. I'll always remember that his, his debut against the Philadelphia Phillies on a Sunday night. And you're thinking, he, I remember when he came out of the dugout, he got an ovation, which yeah. I've never seen before. I've never seen someone get an ovation when they came out of the dugout. That's how kind of the expectations were for this guy. And I think that's, what's kind of crazy about Tim. Let's come. When you think about the expectations, like think about, like we talked about in our last episode about expectations for Casey Schmidt. Yeah. You know, we, we had expectations for Madison Bumgarner, but in terms of the amount of expectations we put on the franchise as what we call Tim Lincecum, to then show up and immediately live up to those uh, expectations in such a dominant way, you just don't see that very often from guys. And that's just what makes Tim Lincecum, right. I think, so special. Gun now, to your head, life on the line. And I hate using the gun to your head thing because I'm, I'm not a weapon guy. Yeah. Who are you taking? 2014 Mad Bum or 2010 Lincecum? You know, I would probably go a little 51-49 to probably Lincecum right there. Uh, 2010 Lincecum, I mean, you, you talk about his five-year run. I mean, 2010 was probably from 2008 to 2011. 2010 was probably his worst year. He had that really bad month of August. But what you saw him do in October, bookending that postseason with two yes. of the best pitching performances you'll ever see, he rose up to the big well, moment when he when he was able to. He rose up to the big moment in a way that you really just don't see very often these days. He bounced back in 2011 and had a monster year. People 2011 might have been his best year overall. Yeah. We just we don't talk about it because he got such crud run support that exactly. year. Exactly. And, and then I mean, 2012, he fell out of favor. But in the playoffs, he had three different appearances as a swingman that were unbelievably dynamic. Right. Remember him saving Barry Zito? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, the, the the ninja performance out of yes. the, out of the bullpen. That's what he called himself. And so, yeah, I mean, Tim Lincecum just—it's it's a shame that it lasted so. It, it didn't last very long. I remember watching him pitch, thinking, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to enjoy it because the way he throws the ball, it's not going to last very long. And I made sure to always appreciate those those Lincecum days ever since he made that debut against the Philadelphia Phillies, who coincidentally are who the Giants played this week, got their first sweep of the season, taking on the Phillies here. And Shasky, we now we're at the quarter part, quarter mark of the season already. It feels like just yesterday we were losing our minds about Matt Beatty, and here we are. The Giants got their first sweep. They're sitting twenty and twenty-three here. And 
this was a very obviously a very fun series because it's always fun when you sweep a series. Giants beating Zach Wheeler on Tuesday night. We all remember where he came from. Twenty eleven trade for Carlos Beltran, <laughs> and so it's the it's the first season. Giants have had a lot of ownage against the Phillies of late. They're 17 and five in their last 22 meetings going back to uh, 2019. So the Giants have had some ownage against the Phillies right, uh, so far. But I feel like whenever we ta- start these podcasts now, we got to start with the Schmidt show. Casey Schmidt, who had another stellar series. Shasky, the kid just keeps going. You know what? It's uh, it's becoming a thing. I mean, this guy's legit. I- I'm-, I'm here to say it. I don't know if he'll be an all-star because being an all-star is very difficult. But my God, he is clearly a pillar moving forward. And I mean that with all sincerity. I don't mean that as a joke. You're starting to see what this infield can look like when it takes shape. Him at third base yesterday, Crawford at short. And I think that that's a stopgap for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, and Estrada at second base. Wow. Right? Like Estrada mm-hmm. is coming into his own, obviously having a monster offensive year. Um, and then seeing Casey Schmidt's arm on back-to-back plays yesterday down the line. Did you see the cannon from the kid? The it was like 94 miles an hour. Hand. Yeah. He is legit. And here's the best part that I like about him right now. At the plate, he's driving the ball all around uh, yeah. the entire diamond from, from line to line. And you've seen him take the outside pitch and go away with it over to the second baseman's head. He's got gap power. Uh, like right now, honest to God, he's the most watchable giant on the team. And Again, Estrada is having an all-star year. Doval is having a really nice year early on. By the way, Doval, ninth inning, that that cutter, that 99-mile-an-hour cutter or sinker or whatever that pitch when is. He starts feeling it. It is Dude. one of the most dangerous pitches to have to hit against. It is so great to watch. But, no, I like what you're saying about Casey Schmidt and that, yeah, he is using the whole field. And yes. I don't know if it's just a coincidence. Maybe he is catching on, but you're seeing the rest of the team kind of adopt that too. Yeah. Shasky, they swept the Phillies. And they only had one home run. And that was Michael Conforto's on Monday night. And we're starting to see Conforto come around. We'll get back. We'll, we'll, we'll circle around and get back to him later on in this episode. But that was, I think, what was the most encouraging thing about this Giants series is they were not relying on the home run ball. No. They were sustaining rallies. I think yesterday they, they singled the Phillies to death. Yeah. And that's what is really kind of frustrated, frustrated me early on. I mean, home runs are great. We love home runs. Chicks dig the long ball. But you need some variety in yeah. your game. And you saw that in this series against the Philadelphia oh. Phillies, where they're really there. You're seeing the gap hitting again. You're seeing, you know, they're sustaining rallies. They scored six runs in one inning because they're sustaining rallies. And that is what you want to see. And it's signs like that that make me think even at the quarter pole, 20 and 23 ahead of the Padres in the division, maybe there's something there that can suggest that, you know what, this team can still have a competitive season. You know, it's uh, been a year and a half since the 2021 uh, NLDS uh, against the Los Angeles Dodgers. This last 10-day stretch was the most watchable the Giants have been since that season. And it's because of Casey Schmidt. Exactly. It is literally because of Casey Schmidt. I mean, am I wrong? No, I felt myself more interested in these games uh, ever since Schmidt came up. Because, again, like I think we said in the last episode, even if the Giants don't win, but exactly. if Casey Schmidt makes gets two hits or makes a great play in the field, you're you're feeling good, even but though the Giants here, did not win. Here's it, here's an area here's an area that it, we're going to praise the kid. You saw some of the growing pains. I believe it was Tuesday night. I think it was Tuesday night. He gets to second base. It might have been Monday night. He gets to second base, and there's uh, two outs. Ball hit in the hole to between third and short, and Trey Turner went to third with it, and Casey Schmidt got thrown out running the bases. 
That should never happen the rest of his career. Yeah. A base running mistake like that where a ball's hit to the left side, he's at second base. You just got to be more aware of that. It kind and of seemed I, to catch him off guard a little bit too. It yeah. did. It did. But you know what? Like, if we're going to praise all the good stuff, you got to reference the bad base running right there. I expect him never to make that mistake again because it does feel like he's a very astute ball player. Yeah, and I think right before that, I think he got on base. He was on first base. He almost got picked off even uh-huh. there too. It was very close. The Phillies almost reviewed it. Going back, I was like, it was close, but again, like you're going to have those learning moments. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a exactly. thing that Giants fans need to be ready for is Casey Schmidt, he's going to screw up. Exactly. You know? There's going to be mistakes. we got to be ready to roll with those punches. Now, uh, another guy I want to kind of highlight here uh, from this series that I would like to see more of now that we're past the quarter part of the yeah. season is Bryce Johnson. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday night. There was a moment, it was, uh, I think, the seventh or eighth inning where Bryson Stott hit uh, kind of a blooper out towards shallow center that he came in on, made a very terrific catch on. Next uh, batter, Trey Turner, hit a rocket out to uh, to Triple's alley, and Bryce Johnson got did his best Gregor Blanco impersonation getting into that ball. Shasky, the Stott hit had a, 300, had a 370 expected batting average. That Trey Turner one had a 500 expected batting average. But because of Bryce Johnson... Though both those hits had a zero batting average. This dude, he is fast. He has got a lot of range. He is a guy I want to see so much more of, especially in center field, especially with the outfield that the Giants play in. Well, it's, you know, speed in the outfield is something they haven't had for a while. I mean, it feels like since Angel Pagan, really, if we're being. Oh, yeah. Gregor Blanco with a little bit of speed. I think Gorky's Hernandez, he was athletic. He was underrated there, but he also wasn't very good. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, but like having the speed is absolutely something. They do have a nice defensive setup in right field and in center field with Bryce Johnson and Conforto. I, I like that Definitely. defensively. I don't think it's the greatest, but um, it's certainly an upgrade over the last couple of years. What happens to Bryce with this Yastrzemski return to the, you know, to the big league club? That's going to be a very interesting roster crunch there. Uh, I'm sure the Giants going to have some sort of platooning there because that's what they love to do. Uh, the other interesting question is what happens with Austin Slater? Uh, because I, I honestly like think he's been pretty Bryce, snake bitten. Bryce Johnson injury. feels like he kind of makes Austin Slater a little irrelevant. And I like Slater a lot. I think he's a great player. Why do you he, like Slater? He's just, he's, he, he's not a bad baseball player. He's athletic. He's quick. He's decent at getting on base. He's very useful against lefties. And really he's just, he, he, he seems like he's an overall positive presence in the clubhouse when yeah. I see him in there. But he, I, I feel like Bryce Johnson might just be better. Like well, I like Austin Slater, but I'm really starting to like Bryce Johnson because I feel like he brings a lot of the same things to the table that Austin Slater does, but he's a little bit younger. I think there's a little bit more of a ceiling there, whereas Austin Slater, previous regime guy, always felt like a stopgap. I don't want to say he's a 4A. He's not yes, a 4A player, but he's like, I, I wouldn't say he's a big leaguer, but he's not a 4A player either. He's like a is a 5A player a thing? Like he's <laughs> no. He's he's a useful he's player. He's a fourth or fifth outfielder. Like yeah, that's and I what think, he is. And I think but Bryce here's Johnson the problem. Mike Johnson might be that now, but I think he can get a little bit better. You know, the problem is, is that with Slater, it's more what he signifies, which is constant platooning. Like, and I think that's, it's not so much the player because when he does play, he is productive. It's what he signifies, which is we're going to platoon and guys aren't going to get four or five days in a row. It's going to be matchup dependent. I might yank you in the third inning for Austin Slater. Uh, The ham, he's got the hamstring, right? Is that what the current injury is? Yeah. He has not been able to shake the injury bug this year. I'm, 
Man, I don't know, man. I'm he, I'm about coming up, you know, running out of patience with Austin he, Slater. He quite just frankly. hit the 30 threshold, which I don't think that's old overall, but in baseball terms, it kind of can be. And yeah, it just if you're looking long term future, I don't see Austin Slater as a part yeah. of that. But Bryce Johnson, I, I I definitely do. So what about uh, Brett Wisely? Brett Wisely, you're not seeing him a lot. I think uh, they gave Casey Schmidt his old locker, so that just shows how how long how much Brett Wisely is seeing here. We just haven't really seen a whole lot from Brett Wisely just yeah. doing anything. He's not hitting very well. I know the Rays liked him a lot. Uh, the reason the Giants have him is because the Rays really just didn't have any room for him in their organization. They're, they're chock full of incredibly talented infielders. And the Rays, they're very good at, at, at finding talent and holding on to that talent and identifying that talent. So if the Rays think he's good, the Giants probably are like, well, hey, if they think he's good, we should, we should kind of do our due diligence there. I've just not seen it yet. I don't know if it's time to call it quits on Brett Wisely, but as of right now, I'd rather see several other guys who are not him. I'm I'm kind of with you. Also, Jock's going to come back at some point. How about Jock hurting himself, like bunting with two strikes? What was that? Like, I mean, what are you doing? What's crazy enough is that's not even the most crazy injury the Giants have dealt with in the last <laughs> week. We'll get that to that one in a little bit. No, but like, what are they going to do when Jock returns? Like, I know he hasn't played a lot of defensive outfield, but like that, and that's, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm, getting I, I to point, I'm getting to the point where I want to see all these young guys and I'm okay. Like Conforto, if Conforto keeps up current form and he's, he's batting over 215, I believe right now, um, he was he's in the off, He's off the interstate as crew yes. type like to say. You got to think Conforto's a trade guy, right? You got to think that he is. A team I, could take him with a player definitely. option. Like, I think he's got a little value. I just want to see all the young guys. Having mm-hmm. seen Casey Schmidt, I understand that you're trying to, like, get into the playoffs and be that wild card. Who says you can't trade some of these guys at the deadline or as we approach the deadline, play the youngsters and still be in the mix for a playoff spot? Like, I don't know. I'm not being make, uh, made or broken by a playoff spot run. I just I'm more made or broken by seeing young guys like a Bryce Johnson. Can you play or not? David VR, yeah. if he comes back up, can you rebound or not? Like, that's what I want to see. I don't know. Am I wrong there? No, I think it's it's totally fi- fair to want to see how the front office might see it might be different. I okay. the, I really don't want to see happen is we get into July and they're waffling on whether to go for it or not. This is not a go for it team. Thank you. And thank you. If if a good offer for Conforto comes along where you can get a guy who can help out, if not this year, can at least kind of come up next year. Yeah. Then I would say you make that move. If not then I would say just let Conforto play it out and hope that he takes that opt out and the Giants can really kind of dive further into their their youth movement as they go forward next year because it's starting to bear fruit and I really want to see the Giants uh, be able to commit to that. Yeah. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman with Joe Shasky coming at you every week as often as we can with the best Giants content out there. Make sure you're liking, reviewing, subscribing, sharing, everything and all that. Because, again, we're, we're doing numbers here on this podcast, and we want you, the listeners, to be a part of that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, we are, as I mentioned, we are at the quarter point of the season. And so there's there's kind of a couple things I want to get into here in this segment. One is just... Who are the real San Francisco Giants? As, 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 as Eminem once said, the real Giants, please stand up. And the reason I mean that is that Shasky against the Astros, Brewers, and Phillies, three of the better teams they've played this year, excluding divisional opponents, they're seven and two. They've done very well against teams that were in the okay. playoffs last year. But then you have the Tigers, Royals, Marlins, and Nats, who they're combined three and eight against. They're three and four in one run games, which all right, that's fine. You want to be kind of around five hundred in that one run game uh, category. But they've also been blown out a lot. They're three and ten in games decided by five or more runs. Now they got off to a bad start. They were six and thirteen at one point, a season high seven games below five hundred, uh, culminating with a seven nothing loss to the Mets. But then they've won uh, fourteen of twenty four since then to really kind of I don't know turn the season around is the right word for it. But they're looking better as they do it. I think you're seeing more balance on the offense. They're getting less dependent on the home run, as we saw this season. Uh, they are 9-7 and seven in the month of May. They're leaving less runners on base than they were the previous month. They're striking out a little bit less. They no longer lead the league in strikeouts. Shasky, are we seeing this team, in your opinion, are we seeing a team that's maybe breaking out of a slow start? Or is this a team, or is this who the Giants are? Sometimes they're going to be like looking like a team that, hey, there's something there. And other times it's going to be like, oh boy, what are we doing here? Here's what they are. They're an organization that's finally embracing their transition. They're finally getting an opportunity to see some of the young players that we've been so excited to see sprinkled in with the Lamont Wade juniors and the Estradas, the guys that you've been acquiring over the last couple of years that whether they're stop gaps or diamonds in the rough, like we're getting a chance to see those. These Clefani and Alex Cobb, They've pitched brilliantly this year. It's okay to say it. Like, I really liked what I've seen from the two of them. Alex Cobb, under two ERA. Mm -hmm. He's been outstanding. Um, the box notwithstanding the other night. Uh, but they're a team that's finally starting to embrace the youth movement. And I don't mean necessarily just Casey Schmidt. I mean, you've seen uh, Luis Matos gets elevated uh, to double A to triple A uh, this week. I think that is huge. That, to me, signifies, as Patrick Bailey's starting to play much better, this team it feels like a team that's finally embracing the transition that we've been dying for. So I don't care about what the regular record is right now. I really don't like, and I'm not trying to poo poo. I get where you're going with this, but you're starting to see the vision that we've been waiting for, for four or five years. Yeah. Mitch Hanniger still hasn't played well. I still think Mitch Hanniger is going to come around. I, I, I'm, I'm holding out hope, um, but just seeing Casey Schmidt makes it all worth it. Yeah. No, you mentioned the pitching, you know, DeSclafani and Cobb and great. You're starting to see Logan Wo uh, Logan Webb yes. really come around. The Giants have a very good trio atop the rotation right now that, again, they're they're not taking advantage of those starts yet. I believe they're 13 and 13 when those three take the mound, but you would expect that those numbers will eventually start to kind of trend in a more positive direction. Alex Wood, I thought, I think has looked very good so far to mm -hmm. start the season. Shaky at times. Um, of course, then we had, you know, on Monday night, he came out four and two thirds innings. We kind of got into, you know, into a back and forth about that in our group chat. When you see a pitcher kind of come out like that, why does that bother you, Shasky? Well, okay, so he had a predetermined 65 to 70 pitch limit because he's coming back from an injury. 
I don't believe this is just me. All 65 pitch outings are even remotely close to the same. Are there runners on? Are you stressed? Are you throwing a ton of sliders? Um, are you a guy that has more of a slider arm and you're throwing more fastballs and more changeups? Were you getting hit hard? You know, uh, were you stressed on the mound? Did you look like you were laboring? He got to four and two thirds inning. Trey Turner comes up. All right. Now I know he's hit his pitch limit. I get that. Believe me. How many warm up pitches did you guys determine? Were those factored in? Did he have more or less warm up pitches? You know, what did it look like as he was warming up in the bullpen beforehand? Did he have the same velo spin rate? Like these are the questions I have. And then what about Alex with the guy? You brought him here on one of these, you know, return deals. Like we always do. These guys want wins. Yeah, he was one out away, one batter away from a decision in a game where he wasn't laboring. I thought he got through the tough inning and put it behind him. No one was on base. I wanted to see him finish the inning and take Turner out and then get qualified for a win. Now, it may seem a wins are meaningless, not for all these guys. They want to do that. And I think to me, it was more like, God, you couldn't let him pitch one. Like, it's not the end of the world. One more batter to Trey it's Turner. So, it's so small things. Four you know, pitches, five we've pitches. About, we've talked about the human element on this yes. team. And I think there is a little bit of they were married to that. Uh, my only counterpoint is just people talk about one thing I always hear from these players, this coaching staff, this organization, they're very good at communication. They really stress it a lot. Gabe Kapler talks about it a lot. The only thing I can really think to really rationalize this is in contract negotiations, you got to think that they're talking about, hey, if you ever get hurt, this is the process we're going to do it. You know, we're going to be very strict on the pitch count. We're going to be no matter what. And if you sign on to, to if you sign this contract and, and accept this deal, it's kind of like you, you're accepting the terms and conditions that, you know, when you come back, you're going to have a strict pitch count and you got to be ready to deal with that because there are things that are bigger than just getting a, a bigger number in the win column of, of your, your pitching stats. And, you know, we talk about, you know, wins are antiquated. You do want those wins. And, I know that you know sometimes wins help you get a better contract, but I think we're in a point where the rest of baseball maybe has an understanding that the wins are not everything. There are a lot of other factors in there that can sure. contribute to what brings in money, but it is a glamour stat still, I think, the win. It is cool to see that, you know, number tick up a little Sam. bit. And so Sam. it's Sam. I, I understand the argument both ways. Sam, Sam. Were they tracking how many warm-up pitches he was throwing? I mean, you know, honestly, you're quite like honestly, not just even for Alex Wood, just in general. Like, that's, how often are warm-up pitches actually well, so, factored in here? Well, that's and that this is something that I always try to say. Like, for example, I do little league, and again, I'm not equating little league to the bigs, but they go 75 pitch limit for some of these kids. And I and I my pushback is always awesome. Love that we do that. But does that kid go and play catcher afterwards? And now he's throwing back to the pitcher every single time. Does that include however many warmups in between innings? What about long toss to start the game? What about warmups to start the game? How many, how many pitches is he throwing in the bullpen before the game even starts? How laborious are those throws, right? Context matters to everything. And that's why yeah. I was like, one batter? It could be yeah. one pitch. It could have been a seven pitch at bat. It could have been a nine pitch at bat. I do see both sides of the coin, but at the end of the day, if we're worried about one batter, come on. And that's, I again, I'm not outraged. It was more, I wanted someone to kind of press Kapler because I would like to know what their thinking is. Maybe, yeah. maybe, Sam, to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they are calculating those things. And maybe they have a more sophisticated response that would shut me up. 
I'll be interested to hear that. I'll be at the game. Uh, I'll be at all three games this weekend. So I'll try and ask someone who is in the know. Yeah, there's the drop. Whoop. I'll, I'll see if there's someone who is in the know who can maybe shed some light on that. Because I do think because warm-up pitches in the bullpen do count. A very famous example of this is uh, going way back to the 2008 All-Star game. Remember when how many times I had Billy Wagner warming up in the bullpen? Right. I think he threw like That's five right. innings. In- I think he threw five innings in the bullpen or something that night. And then he comes in and then, you know, the American League ends up teeing off on him and the AL ends up winning it in like the 15th inning. And I remember thinking that night, it's like, they gassed Billy Wagner in the bullpen. I would be furious if I was the Mets. I think he was on the Mets at that time, one. But then two, it's just like, how do you do that? So there's always a risk there in that sense. Now, before we move on, Shasky, a rather, a a big moment happened at uh, Oracle Park yesterday and there's the presence of someone who I didn't expect to see at the Giants games this year. And that is our friend Bonte Hill finally making it out to a Giants game after he swore that he would not go. You swore he would not drop a single cent there. Bonte Hill showing up at Giants games. Is that a sign that the Giants are becoming a more likable, watchable team? Yes, I have heard more about the Giants in the last 10 days from friends and family than I had in the, the three, 30 days before since opening day weekend. Like I, I think that the Giants are turning the corner in terms of fan perception. And it, I'm telling you, it is a direct correlation to what Casey Schmidt represents. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, like we've said, like Casey Schmidt, he has that lean forward yes. factor. And you're seeing it. And honestly, I think there's more guys on this roster I who agree. have that lean forward factor. I agree. That we just we don't really recognize because the way that they arrive, I think, matters. Like, well, for instance, let me give yeah. you one. Yeah. J.D. Davis. I watched his batting practice uh, in Arizona. I know people are going batting practice. This guy can rake. Oh, yeah. They've found something in this guy. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a renaissance guy at 30 years old. I don't know if he's a bench player or a niche guy or a platoon dude. I don't I'm not really sure what he is. This guy can rake and I want to see if he can make or break it in the bigs. Like this guy is actually someone I really like. What about you on J.D.? Oh, no, I'm loving J.D. Davis, too. You're seeing what's. Really like because he could hit last year. We saw that it's the glove this year. Yes. that really blows mine. I really would like to learn just kind of what he's done to improve his defense. Maybe at some point we can learn that. But J.D. Davis, who again, I talked about how you know, the way guys arrive, I think sometimes matters to fans. Like when the Giants acquired Hunter Pence or Freddie Sanchez, there was buzz there. Yeah, you know, he was a na- they were, those were name brand players. Yeah. When J.D. Davis showed up here last year, no one really paid attention to it because he's not no. a name brand player. It's kind of a throwaway trade for Darren mm-hmm. Ruff. And he's really ended up becoming – when you think of how he was acquired, he was acquired along with four other uh, relievers, one of them Thomas Zapucky, who is on the 40-man roster right now, for Darren Ruff, who then came back to the Giants this year. One of the more lopsided trades in the Giants' favor – you know, that's an impressive acquisition there to, yeah. to win that trade that well. He's played very well there. I think that's something to be excited about. Lamont Wade Jr., I think he is establishing himself as a, for the next three, four years, you might be able to count on him on his team. The Giants acquired him for Sean Anderson, who's pitching in Korea right now. Is that where you know? he's at? Yeah, I mean, that that's a wow. major win of an acquisition yeah. there for Farhan Zaidi. Hyro yeah. Estrada, who's going to be probably the Giants. Everybody gets one all-star if the Giants do only get one all-star. They got him for cash. Cash, Shasky. He's a good all-star. Blake Sable. He was a rule five grab. Oh, know, wait, wait. Let's pause for a second. Catching's a problem. But Blake Sable has been exciting at the plate, though. I know. Look at look He's been as more excited as I am about pressure. Casey Schmidt. As excited as I am about Casey Schmidt, let's also acknowledge Joey Bart's just not that guy. He's just not. I, I, I I've been holding out hope. I've wanted to. Like, 
that's a platoon spot until we see Patrick Bailey. To me, yeah. it's Sable and it's Bart. And I'm sorry to, to defensively, they both suck. The arm for Bart is there, dude. He cannot block the ball. It's really driving me nuts. He can't frame. Yeah, Think, Patrick Bailey. I'm curious to see how long, how far away he might be. I He's not on the forty man. Year. He's not on the 40 man. So I'd be curious to see what kind of roster gymnastics they do to get him onto the 40 man roster. Uh, defensively, that's been uh, Patrick ba- Bailey's bread and butter. He's kind of struggling at the play right now. He's hitting 234 in Sacramento, but he's got a 12% walk rate and a 21% strikeout rate, which is, I mean, those are round major league averages right now. So yeah, I do think we're going to get to a point how they're, where they're going to try and get Patrick Bailey up. An injury maybe helps make that happen. Uh, you don't want an injury, but maybe if they just say, you know, screw it, we're going to move Blake Sable back to the outfield because they definitely like what they're seeing from Blake Sable at the plate. Yeah. But again, it's well, and that's where is, I think that the way you increase the likability of this team is let's see more guys yes. from the lower yes. levels come. Give me guys to yes. fall in love with. I think Agreed. the next pitcher to keep an eye on, if it's not Kyle Harrison, is Keaton Wynn, who the okay. ERA doesn't look very good. But he's doing a very good job of hitting the strike zone. He's got a 10, sh- 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Okay. The walk rate is a little high. But Shasky, something to keep in mind when it comes to pitchers in, in AAA right now is they're dealing with the automatic strike zone right now. And I've heard that there's been some kind of – it's been a bit of a, an adjustment in terms of – you're, you're seeing uh, for some of these pitchers, you're seeing some higher walk rates than usual. Kyle Harrison's walk rate's been a little up. And part of that is just because you know they're dealing with a brand-new strike zone yeah. that – is more fixed than usual. So they're just kind of dealing with adjustments there. But in Keaton Wynn, he is on the 40-man roster, whereas Kyle Harrison is not. So I think with you're seeing Ross Stripling, who could possibly be going on the IL with a back injury. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not saying that's a certainty. Ross is maybe, maybe Keaton Wynn is the replacement. Uh, not for nothing, Shasky, before we move on here. But uh, Kyle Harrison did pitch last night. And uh, his pitching turn is uh, in line with Ross Stripling's pitching turn. So, yeah, but what's the most stretched out? Harrison feels like he hasn't gone past four or five innings. I wonder if, if they did bring up Kyle Harrison. Maybe he's it's kind of like another bullpen game. Maybe yeah. Brevia is the opener. Whoa. Harrison gets innings two through five, and then they yeah, go. Like Urias. When Urias came in for the Dodgers, to me, at least, they would be like, he'd be a swing guy. Yeah, I think, Farhan, I think in the offseason, Farhan mentioned that they're going to – introduce Kyle Harrison into the major leagues in a similar way they did with Julio Urias. I remember this because both you and I were groaning about that because it took forever for Julio Urias to really become established. Yeah. And I enjoyed that because like, Oh good. I don't want to see this guy in a Dodger uniform. He's really good. (laughs) Ended up being the right move, but yeah, I think we're going to see something like that. So that's going to be a fun thing for giants fans to deal with is, you know, if, if we were impatient about Casey Schmidt getting here, giants fans, we're going to be very impatient, not only waiting for Kyle Harrison, which we already are impatient, but when he gets here, it's going to be another level of just let this process play out. I think doesn't it, doesn't it feel like they're turning the corner on all these prospects? Like all of a sudden, all of them are starting to trend in the right direction. Not that they're all going to hit. I hit a thing. couple home runs the other night, too. It's just everybody. All, saying. all the shiny names are starting to shine again. And if I'm getting giddy just talking about it. Am, am I going to issue an apology to Farhan at some point? Uh, you probably will. And then you're going to turn around behind the glass and see this big old smile looking right at you. (laughs) You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman here with Joe Shasky. We're coming at you every week with all the best Giants content. Make sure you like this podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Share it. Review it. Yell, jump on top of a building and scream to everybody that they need to listen to this podcast because we are where it is at for all things Giants talk. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Now I want to get into kind of some quick hits here uh, before we get out of here, Shasky. And uh, first thing I want to do is I want to get back onto Michael Conforto. Um, cause we were kind of looking at him side-eyed a little bit this first month and I kind of wanted to wait a little bit before I really got onto the, he's getting coming around bandwagon. Then he got his average above 200. I think it's at 215 now, like you mentioned, I'm starting to come around on Michael Conforto. Now his last seven games, he's hitting 385, uh, three home runs, 10 hits. He's not as Homer dependent. One thing about Michael Conforto that you could definitely say coming, you know, so far this year, he can hit home runs and he can walk. He's, you know, yeah, I think he has like a top 15 walk rate right now. He is, but now you're seeing more. He's starting to get non home runs. He's starting to get on base with not walks. And so I'm kind of curious when you look at Michael Conforto right now, where's kind of your confidence level on him and just kind of, yeah, just where are you at right now with Michael Conforto? Here's where I'm at. I don't care. I don't care how great or how bad he plays. He's a rental. Like, that's how I'm viewing Michael Conforto. Mm -hmm. I'm just being real. Like, I'm rooting for him. I want him to do well. To me, I want him to be moved at the deadline no matter what. Whether that's to get me a good prospect, whether that's not. Like, I want him to increase his value, obviously, so he plays well. But at the same time, I'm not getting emotionally attached to him at all. No, because I know he's really not in the, the long-term future. I like him. He's solid. I think he can help a contending team. Like him on the right team, I think he's a nice seven hitter for somebody. I do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right? Yeah. But for this team, like, come on, Sam. Like, look at the contract. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not getting my I'm not getting my emotions all wound up over him. No, I, I agree with you. And I think and I and I think the Giants and even Conforto would agree with this t- with this thought here in that. If Michael Conforto is not on the Giants next year, I think that's a win. That's a win yes. for everybody. It's a win for the Giants. Yes. It's a win for us. It's a win for him because it means yeah. that he played well enough to go secure the bag elsewhere. Yeah. And that's what the Giants are doing. Hopefully he can continue that trend. Right now, of all of the, the opt-out guys, um, he's probably doing the best right now in, in, in the most likely to not be on the Giants next year. Uh, two guys who right now are trending as if they are going to be on the Giants or unemployed next year, Shamanai and Ross Stripling. Stripling... I mean, you said it already. He looks done. Manaya, the other night, I think it was Tuesday night, you know, I'm seeing Duvall warm up in the bullpen in the eighth inning. And I'm also seeing Sean Manaya warm up in the bullpen in the eighth inning. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? Why is Manaya in the bullpen? And then almost as if he heard me, Kruko's like, oh, yeah, there's Sean Manaya. He's probably getting ready for a potential Bryce Harper, you know, matchup. And I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. That cannot happen. We need to get out of this inning immediately. Right on cue, Tyler Rogers gets a ground ball and then a fly ball to get out of the inning. Thank you, Tyler Rogers, for that. Well, the Rogers but, brothers are coming around. They are coming around. But when it comes to Stripling and Manaya, 
Hank Shulman was on this podcast last year, and he talked about the big thing with the Giants is their ability to flip pitchers around. And so I'm kind of curious with the way that Manaya and Stripling have been this year, is that kind of hurting that reputation? Or is this just like a eventually you're going to have a couple pitchers that just that just don't get it? I mean, was Tyler Anderson great for the Giants? So, so he wasn't bad. He wasn't this bad. No, he wasn't this bad. Yeah. I mean, but he had more left in the tank, right? I mean, so. They- I, yeah, because I well, he he was a solid pitcher for them in 2020. I think he had their only complete game in 2020. He did, he did. But so, I, I mean, it was like a handful of starts. But you know yeah, what I mean. Like, and, so yeah, like, I, we're, I'm probably jumping the gun there. But like, no, I don't think this. These are two guys that are at the end of their career. I mean, that that's yeah. really what it is. I, and I don't knock the Giants. I think they're the last on a lot of people's list in terms of places to go because they're not in contention. Um, so teams that want to acquire a fourth or fifth starter, that guy wants to play somewhere where he can get good run support and can win and gets great defense. That's not what the Giants were viewed as during no. the offseason. So this is the best that they could do. Um, yeah. My bigger thing is. I am very curious to see what the rotations are going to look like in terms of projections from the minor leagues. You hear about Kyle Harrison, Sean Jelly. Uh, I don't know. You had one draft where what all you did was take pictures. You know, all you did. Where's Bedard? Like, what happened to that guy? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I mean, where's Cole gets- Waits? What's going on there? Yeah. Well, Cole Waits. They bought him up. He kind of struggled. They had to send him back down. No. I think right now, I mean, you're 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 looking at Harrison and Wynn right now. I think those are kind of I know Seth, whatever happened to Seth Corey. That's another I have one. No idea. It seemed like he was in the wings forever. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're not hearing from him anymore. Um, but no, I agree with. I don't think it's it's a huge worry. The Giants have been very good no. pitchers overall. Alex Wood looks great. Alex Cobb looks great. Looks great. So there's some wins there. Scalfani looks better. Yeah, all things considered with Di Scalfani. Let's talk about Di Scalfani really quick. I want to spend a quick minute on him. Who, you know, we've seen some wacky injuries over the years. When he came out in that start against Arizona, I was really worried. And then I found out afterwards that uh, he dropped a piano bench on his toe. <laughs> and his toenail came off. Oh, and now we're talking about toenails and pianos. And I'm wondering, where is Jeremy Affelt in all of this? <laughs> that was, that was, you know, Di Scalfani is the Jeremy Affelt now of, of injuries. I'm willing to laugh at it only because he's starting tomorrow. Um, but that was just, I think it kind of underscores how important Di Scalfani has been that the where. Worst. He's got, he's got a he's got an owie on his toe and you're you're worried about him. The it's not funny, but the worst pitcher injury in terms of non-baseball that the Giants have ever suffered. It's Madison Bumgarner on the ATV. Yes, that that was a that ruined their season. It was a franchise. I mean, how, the impact on that season I think is debatable. I'm not sure how good that 2017 team would have been if he didn't get hurt. That was still a bad team. You know, you lose 98 games. You're not a Madison Bumgarner away from all of a sudden being Take a Take Garrett Cole attention. off the Yankees, right? Take Madison yeah. Bumgarner off the Giants at that oh, time. I'm, not saying, I'm, not, I'm definitely not agreeing that it made an impact. But, I mean, I remember Brian yeah. Sabian was even kind of ruminating over that team that year that I don't know about this team because they were still kind of stuck in, in the, what happened in, in 2016 and coming up short there. And I just think there was a funkiness over that uh, 2017 team that kind of – um set the tone there uh last thing i want to do before we get out of here is uh i want to do a quick uh tour through the bullpen uh shasky if you were to power rank the relievers that you trust the most in the non camille doval division who would be your top five relievers on the giants right now in no order or order or or from five to one however you want i'm gonna go no order okay the rogers brothers david alexander Scott Alexander. Scott Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> I know a David Alexander. There Scott you go. Alexander. I don't think there's a fifth one. 
Yeah. So you know, I'll 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 rank them. I'll go for wrong? five. I'll go for number five up to number one because I don't totally disagree with you. Um. So my number five is Juna is Jacob Junis. I think he's looking. You know I think what? I forgot really about Junis. Yeah. I forgot he's, about Junis. Good call. He's really in that swingman role. Yeah. He, uh, he's not been sharp though. This year he's been bit by the sliders all over the place. Bit. It really is all over the place. But I I trust that he will still come around. Um, after that is Taylor Rogers. He's probably my number four he's scoreless since he threw the glove away, but he's still walking guys at a career high rate right now. And he's another one where you look at kind of his heat chart, the sinker, one of his better pitches is kind of all over the place as well. I would like to see him tighten that up a little bit. John Brebby is my number third trusted reliever. The ERA is looking ugly, but there are some other metrics that suggest that maybe you'll get some positive regression there. Uh, I do worry a little bit about his usage. The giants use him a lot this last year. They're using him a lot already this year. Uh, number two is Tyler Rogers. I've always been a big Tyler Rogers guy. Yes, I love submariners. Guy can get ground balls almost whenever you need them. As I mentioned, you know, Tuesday night, I'm freaking out about a potential Manaya Harper matchup, and he comes in and gets a quick ground ball, and then gets Trey Turner on a weak fly ball to center, gets out of the inning. That's what I like to see out of Tyler Rogers. And number one, Shaskis might surprise you, Scott Alexander. I trust him a lot. The ERA looks ugly, but he is absolutely a small sample size guy. Yes. Remember when he came in on Monday night? You and I both text the thread. I have a bad feeling I about know. this. We were totally like, it's like, this is got out of it. ugly. And he got out of it. Shasky, he's given up nine runs this year. Six of those runs came in back-to-back starts against the Cardinals, back-to-back appearances against the Cardinals. And then another three spot in San Diego when they were, or not in San Diego, in Mexico City. They are basically playing a game on the moon. So, when you take that away, when you take those runs away, the numbers look a lot better. And I yeah. think he is a small sample size guy. And this is the problem when you have kind of when you get blown up as a reliever early on in the season is the rest of the year. You're, you're, you're ch- yes. chipping that ERA away. Remember last year, Tyler Rogers had a really bad outing against the Mets. I think he gave up like six runs in the third of an inning. Well, yeah, and you stay look, out there. Yeah. And you look at the numbers like it was like soft hit after soft. <laughs> he was like a duck snort after duck snort. And it was an ugly ERA really until the end of August. And it made Tyler Rogers, I think, an unfair scapegoat for the Giants' problems because people would look at that unsightly ERA. And I mean, you remember the kind of the, the colorful conversations about Tyler Rogers we had on the morning roast. No. You know, it <laughs> so but yeah, I think Scott Alexander, he's in that same kind of boat where let's get him a little bit more work. You'll yeah. start to see that ERA come down. Don't worry about the ERA. You know, there's there's two ugly appearances that are inflating it, so I'm not worried. So those are my top five right now outside of uh, Camille Duvall. I love Shasky, it. Before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts? We got the Marlins in town this weekend, but no yeah, Jazz Chisholm's hurt, which sucks. I'm what? supposed to go to the game tomorrow night. Yeah. I'm already yawning in the middle of this show. I got to go take a nap and, and lay down <laughs> so I can catch these Giants. Though I'm really excited. If they can win two out of three against the Marlins, I'll really be excited. Yeah, the Marlins, who they – last few years, they've really struggled against the Marlins, not just in the last few years, just overall. It seems like the Marlins always seem to give the Giants problems. The Marlins are one of the teams that just kind of, they're a Giants nightmare, not just well, in terms of they always have seven. Nenaria, 97, 2003, Scott Cousins. It's, there's a lot of Scott bad Cousins. memories associated Blue with Grinson. the Marlins. Lou Grinson and, and, and Hunter Strickland. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like there's been a lot of them. Yeah, the Marlins just, yeah, for whatever reason, it's just, it's never a fun time when these two it's teams get together. So, but it, is, it was always a good time when you and I get together on this podcast. We will be back next week with uh, a Giants Marlin series to talk about. We'll have more Casey Schmidt exploits to talk about. And uh, let's uh, knock on wood. We might have a special uh, appearance from someone on the next podcast. I don't want to give like anything it. away, though. I like so, it. Until then, uh, Sam Lubin and Joe Shasky, uh, the Garlic Fries Baseball Guys podcast. We will catch you on the next one. <laughs>